on the board of a smallish nonprofit, just under a $1 million annual budget. Our board recently did our first evaluation of our ED's performance and voted to provide her a raise. She has worked tirelessly during the pandemic and also hasn't had a raise in the last few years. We think it's a fair amount and did the number crunching to make sure it wouldn't put the organization in financial jeopardy to provide her with this financial boost. Much to our surprise, she declined the raise when we offered it. She said she didn't need more money and that she didn't want the additional pressure of fundraising for her increased salary. We still are reeling from this. Do we simply accept her wishes? Is it her choice even when we all voted approved and want her to have a raise? Oh my gosh, I love this question. This has like so much like crazy interesting nuance in it. Wow. And and on top of that, it has like a a a board staff responsibility question as well that's 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 thorny. So I want to get that one first. So can so one of the things that the board is responsible for the only one of the only things they're responsible for is <laughs> he's nodding like crazy the only thing they're responsible for is hiring and firing and providing the like annual, the salary the yes. annual salary and the performance review for the executive director that's literally their only actual job and in this case they've done their job they think they've done it well <laughs> proud of it they're proud of it and they just got slapped down by the executive director and so so to answer the to answer the question in a technical sense yes as the board you can change her salary <laughs> you can force her to take a raise should you force her to take a raise? I think it's a different question. <laughs> it really, I have never heard of this in my Me life. Either. This is totally new. Right? I mean, most EDs <laughs> and most staff at nonprofits are like, I don't get paid enough. They'd be jumping for joy. Yeah. I mean, to me, it feels like a larger issue. Like, if I were reading between the lines, I would say this is clearly a board that probably doesn't fundraise. And the ED <laughs> is almost giving a message like, sure, you might, right? Like, you might cover my salary this year, but then every year, the additional money for my salary, who's going to raise that? Like, I almost, to me, it feels a little passive aggressive, but, um, or maybe a lot passive aggressive. Um, mm. And you know, here's, yeah, you could change the salary. I guess I just, I feel like more conversations need to be had. Like, yeah, right. I mean, that's the, the, that's the answer is like somebody needs to sit down. If it's the board chair or the executive committee, if it needs to be more than one person, just sit down with the ED and go like, so this was unexpected, right? We <laughs> thought, we, we thought, you know, you've done such a fantastic job. We thought we were being generous and, um, and, and, and you've told us that you don't want that extra money and now we're confused. So what can we do? Like, you know, obviously the board probably doesn't want to push. I mean, the board shouldn't want to put an additional fundraising burden on the executive director. So it's, this is when this is a perfect opportunity to take this person to lunch now that we can do that kind of thing again yeah. and have a conversation about like, so what's really going on? Yeah. Like, cause, cause this is a really weird answer to that question. What's really going on and see if you can maybe dig down into it. Cause I don't, I think you're right. I don't think the. I don't think her, I think the, the ED's answer was probably pretty politic. I think the ED was giving uh, a, an answer that mm -hmm. you would give in a board mm -hmm. meeting without mm -hmm. getting in trouble. And you may want to dig into that further and find out what the actual issue is. I also think 
maybe you can get creative with the ED if it truly is about the money and sort of the fundraising obligation, the increased fundraising obligation of this. Um, Sometimes I've heard EDs being uncomfortable because perhaps they are making a significant amount more than the next level in the organization. So there could be a lot there that that could unravel sort of larger issues that the organization needs to think about, but also get creative. I talked to a nonprofit staffer recently who was joking with me saying, oh, I got a raise. I, I mean, I took it. I was excited, but I really actually wish the ED would have talked to me instead about other options than the money, because I actually don't need the money and don't want the money for tax reasons and everything else. I actually would love more time off. And so I wish there would have been an option. So I also think there's ways to like kind of figure out a solution that maybe makes the board feel good and the ED feel good and yeah. all is right with the world. Yeah, it's a good problem to have. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I'm sitting here live and in person, believe it or not, with my fabulous co-host, Andy Shurek, and this is Stacey Wedding. As you know, this is a production of the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. A couple of exciting new developments, at least for us. Um, One, a special thanks to Envy Energy, who is allowing us to use one of their own studios in their facility to record this. So hopefully that painful Zoom sound in the background is going to be gone, at least for the time being. So huge shout out to Envy Energy. Also, uh, we decided after some great feedback from one of our listeners that we needed to set up a phone number so that if you're driving or maybe you're running or walking or something and you have a question for us, you can just call and leave a voicemail message and that'll get you on the show. So we'll make sure to to use your, your question and respond on one of our upcoming episodes. So here's the phone number. Make sure to jot it down or you can find it on the nonprofiteverything.com yeah, website. Crash your car while you write this down. Yeah, crash your car, like, you know, and stop running and somehow like, I don't know, like put this on your arm or something. I don't know what you're going to do, but it's 702-900-4656, 702-900-4656. And as always, you can also write us um, or just email us or whatever, send the, send us your questions in whatever way. So thanks. Today's episode is sponsored by the HR Collaborative. The HR Collaborative was formed to help build nonprofit strengths through improved human resources. It provides professional development opportunities, networking, and sharing of best practices on HR issues faced by nonprofit organizations. The Collaborative meets bi monthly. Membership is free and open to anyone who works for a nonprofit and has HR responsibilities. For more information or to attend an upcoming meeting, visit their website at www.hrcollaborativelv.org. Check out the Nonprofit Everything show notes for more information. Our fiscal year starts on April 1. The ED told me that because of funding issues with two programs, the board will approve a provisional budget for the next three months rather than a budget for the full fiscal year. I believe the organization's budget for the full fiscal year is a business requirement 
and that not including it will raise red flags with funders in terms of our organization's viability, sustainability, and governance. How big a problem is this? Do you have any advice? But sure, I've always got advice. <laughs> you may not want to listen to <laughs> it. Might it. Not be, might not be helpful. Um, so on on this one, there are a couple of kind of questions that are sort of buried in it together, but I think I'll just kind of take them one at a time. So the first one is like, what's a provisional budget? Like, is it is it okay to create a budget for just three months instead of a budget for one year? And if if it is okay, like, what do people think about that? I think that's kind of the, if I was going to boil the question down. Um, the, the reason I see people do provisional budgets, like in this case, it's because the funding issues, right? Which means that we we want to get a grant. We think we're going to get a grant, but we're not going to put it in stone. So what we're going to do is we're going to ask the board to approve something for the short term. And then if we do get the grant, then we'll come back to them and we'll approve a bigger budget. Um, I, my opinion is that's a cop out. I think that's an absolute cop out is so what you should be doing when you're talking, first of all, if your organization is so fragile that you're reliant on a single funder to make your budget completely different, that's, that's clearly a problem. You want to make sure that you don't have, don't have right. all your eggs in one right. basket, right? right. Sounds, Diversification <laughs> is your friend. Exactly. And I think we've learned that over the last 18 months, right? That, so that's one thing. The other thing is your, your budgeting process for revenue should be just as rigorous as your budgeting process for, for expenses. So a budget just isn't the expense portion, which is here's what we want to spend. The budget also includes this is the money we're going to bring in. And if it's like, eh, it's coin flip, if, I don't know if you're <laughs> going to get this or not, it's truly 50-50, then you need to figure out a way like that, number one, should give your board red flags about diversity of income. And number two, it should say that maybe you need to think a little bit harder about how your organization is, what your business model is. Um, so some of, from a funder's perspective, I, I don't know. I can't answer for a funder's perspective. My, my suspicion from a funder's perspective would be that if you give me a three-month budget, I you don't know what you're doing. No. That would be my instinct. So I, I'm going to answer it just because I have been on that side of it before and have worked with a lot of funders. And I will share that I agree. I think that would be a bit of a red flag for a funder. Um Unless there is some really solid explanation or plan saying, you know, here's here's what we're setting forth, the reason, you know, and providing some context if the if if it's let's say a grant application, if they even allow you the space to do that, right? But like providing if you provide some context and talk about your long term plan that you're in the midst of, you recognize that you're not diversified, you're working more toward that. I mean, certainly you can do that, and maybe not totally shoot yourself in the foot, but I will tell you, I still think it's going to be enough of a red flag. I, I, as a funder, I would just say, eh, there's stronger organizations that are more sustainable and more, you know, fiscally, uh, uh, you know, and it's strong, right? So I'm going to go with those. Um, so I do think there's not really a nice way around this. I mean, I really thought through this question going, is there a way to explain this in some way to a funder that, would make sense. Um, and the only way I see around it is sort of identifying if there's some very unique circumstance and this isn't sort of typical reassuring a funder that there are other diverse sources, um, but this was just an odd year. Like it would have to be something like that, I think, for it to even be looked at. Yeah, I think part of the problem too is that, especially EDs, because 
the process that you go through when you create a budget, you create a budget and then the first thing that you do, then you do the work, you create the budget, you do the work. And then the next thing that happens is you're defending the budget to actual. So that's the thing that the board gets, which is like, here's what we said was going to happen. Here's what actually happened. They're never the same. And so I spend half the board meeting or a third of the board meeting explaining why they're all different. So thinking about your budget as something that you want to get right, that you're trying to, you want it to be exactly right so that you don't have to have that uncomfortable conversation about why it isn't right, then becomes the primary motivator for generating the budget. And that's absolutely the wrong way to look at it. And the board should, the board should be encouraging you not to do it that way, that it's okay. A board, a board that hammers on you for misbudgeting or budgeting wrong, my opinion, of course, is, is barking up the wrong tree. That's not what they should be talking about. They should be talking about like, do we need to make the budgeting process more robust? Is there something about the funding streams that we need to be concerned about? Like, why is the budget off? And let's just, okay, great, let's move on. And we'll think about figuring it out later. What a budget should be is like your best estimate, your best guess about what's going to happen in the next 12 month period. So, and that's it. Like, here's what I think is going to happen. And in this case, it's like, they don't know and they're not going to know for sure for three months. So, maybe you do, here's what I really think is going to happen. Like if you like pin me to it and say like, what do you think the most likely thing is to happen? Make that the budget. And if there's this 50% chance or 12% chance or whatever it is that you're going to get this giant game-changing grant, add that as an addendum. Like say, this is our, well, this is what's going to happen. Well, this is what we're pretty sure is going to happen. But if all of these dominoes fall in the right, right way, this is what could happen, and this is our plan for dealing with it then. So they're approving the official budget, but they're also aware of the this could potentially be what's happening. And then and then that way, when the so when the organization asks you, the funder asks you, can I have your annual budget? Give them the board approved budget. It's done. When the grant comes through, your next board meeting, you're like, we have to have a party because that thing we said might happen actually happened. So here's what we're going to do now. Do you guys want to approve this adjustment to the budget? And the board's going to be like, yay, let's right. do that. Right. So so that would be the way that you would approach it to, to maybe solve that problem is to just do what you're instead of because nobody I mean, as a former finance person. I don't want to do more than one budget a year. Oh yeah. my God. How painful. Like seriously, that's like, <laughs> that's like when I, you know, that's when I start slamming doors and answering the phone all rude, right? That's like, like no. Yanking it's bad a toenail once. out one at a time. Yeah, it's bad oh, enough yeah. once a year. Oh. Why would I want to do it twice? Yeah. Crazy. I also, I'm curious, maybe you can speak to this, Andy, because I think it's so common and I see it happen all the time. Exactly what you alluded to and shared People start with the expense side that feels like the easier side. And then they just, whatever that, you know, expense number is, they just match it with revenue, right? <laughs> right. With no plan. Just like, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, it's, you need yeah. to be just as rigorous about the, the revenue. In fact, if you're, I mean, what I would love to do, I, I think it's hard, especially for organizations that exist and continue to have staff and expenses. You don't want to just... So there's this one thing called zero-based budgeting. Um, I think I've probably talked about zero-based budgeting before. And it's, um, I think some people use it the way it was intended and some people use it. I used it as a blunt instrument, honestly. And so what that is, is like you start the year, you've got a brand new budget, you've got a blank slate, you have no staff, you've got no building, you've got no trucks, you've got nothing, you've got absolutely nothing. Show me what you need in order to meet our mission goals for this year justify everything that you need to meet our mission goals from this year and build it up from scratch. And if you happen to leave an employee out, that tells me that maybe you have too many employees. 
right? <laughs> if you happen to leave expenses out, it tells me they weren't important enough at the beginning for you to actually receive those expenses. And it makes, and it's, as a as a finance person, this was my way of encouraging people to not do the, well, last year we got $10,000 and I think we're going to, I want to juice it by 10%. So we're going to get $10,000, $11,000 next year. That's what I'm going to ask for, right? Because that's just lazy. And you want people to actually take a step back and do the work. Um, on the other hand, I mean, I was a big softy on the other side of it too. Whereas if you came to me and you said, look, we really need this and we can get this done with it. Is it okay? Like I would go to bat for you. I would absolutely go to bat for you in a board meeting and say, hey, we we talked about this. We're going to actually spend this much more money. We think we've got revenue coming from here to cover it. Or this thing didn't work out the way we wanted it to. So we're not going to spend that stuff. So we're going to move it around. And we did that stuff all the time just because, you know, you want to be able to miss, meet the miss, mission flexibly, but you don't want to be be lazy. And the other thing you never want to do, and this is totally off topic, is if you're a finance person, don't don't use what somebody spent the previous year to justify what they're going to spend the next year. So if somebody asks for $1,000 and they only spent $500, don't be that guy and say, well, you only spent $500 next last year, so you're only going to spend $500 this year. Because mm. what you're doing is encouraging people to spend their budget to the last penny before the next budget period starts so that you don't do that. They're much smarter than you. <laughs> they're good at squeezing that. And it's kind of a that's interesting. And then it's not even smart investments or things they actually need yeah. because they just feel like, like they're going to lose that line item on the budget. 15 cases of paper in your yeah. office. Yeah. Oh, I had to spend the rest of my budget before <laughs> the year ended. It's like, don't do that. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, it, yeah. I mean, and, and that's where, you know, you want to have a friendly good, your, your finance people need to have a good relationship with the rest of the organization to be able to say, you know, don't, don't do that. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I'm not going to, I'm not going to hammer you. I want you to think about it. I want you to be real about what you're asking me for and don't try to trick me because actually I am smarter than you. So <laughs> <laughs> don't mess with him. Um, but you know, the other thing that strikes me is I think when, when you're doing revenue projections, I, I don't know if the person who wrote this has ever gone through this exercise, but I've seen it and it, it can sometimes help to really go through, you know, and I'm going to just take it from a grants lens for for this question. But, you know, you look at your grant probability, right? And maybe you have gotten the same amount from the same funder the last 10 years. That's probably a pretty high probability that you're going to get that again. Um, so I've seen people put together a nice spreadsheet, right, that shows almost a percentage or like a percent of likelihood of getting that grant to help them kind of, you know, contextualize what do we realistically, we're going to ask for X, but we're probably only going to bring in this. Um, and let's maybe give ourselves a little bit of a push goal. So here's what it should be for the budget. So I think there's ways to do this that um, like something like that, Andy, that you'd be cool with that, right? If someone did an exercise like that? Yeah, we. I mean, I recommend that all the time. It's actually coming up with, and it, it works better for larger organizations that actually have development staff. Yeah. Because, because then the development staff has a goal. They know who their target list is. They'll be able to go down those list of names and, and, and pretty, pretty accurately say, yeah, there's a 50% chance I'm going to get $10,000 out of this person, right? They're going to, they're going to be able to, and when you get enough targets together and you have those percentages, what I, in my experience, that's actually worked out really closely. Like people, people come pretty close to their actual goal when they go through that exercise. The only time I've seen that process break down is when you've got like a moonshot 
grant or a moonshot donor, which is we think there's a 5% chance I'm going to get $10 million out of this person because then that blows up your whole budget. So you have to be careful of those large value, small percentage grants. Those, those can sway you. And my, I usually just left them out. That was like, yeah, let's, if it's a 5% chance, that's 5% is basically zero. So I want to see things like maybe if it's 25% and it's not a huge number, we'll add it. But if it's a big, big number, it's just going to mess up our budget because it's going to be, because, you know, 5% is nothing. But yeah, that's a good, it's a really good tool. Absolutely recommend that tool. If you're, if you're going to be, if you're going to be budgeting revenue, which you should. I'm the executive director of a student-run, fiscally-sponsored nonprofit, and I'm a student as well. I love your podcast. Hey, that's awesome. Keep Put that in all the time. <laughs> if you want your question on, just throw in, I love your podcast. We'll we, read it. We love it. <laughs> it's taught me so much about nonprofit stuff that I didn't even know about. I've been looking into nonprofit boards, but I still don't really understand the difference between a board and staff. Right now, we call our leadership team our board, but that seems wrong. Can staff members be part of the board? If not, where do I find board members and how much power will they have over our organization? I want to take us to the next level, but I think I need to smooth this out before that. I love this question. Uh-huh. Uh, there are some layers here, uh-huh. um, but let's let's start with just actually answering your question because I have a tendency to you know go down a rabbit hole that never actually gets to your answers. So. <laughs> this could be an episode, like an entire episode. <laughs> it, it, it could be right. Um, so. You know, first and foremost, I think one thing to keep in mind is whether you are, you know, you said you're a student-run, fiscally-sponsored nonprofit. So whether you fall under the umbrella of another 501c3 who is your fiscal sponsor or whether you are a standalone nonprofit um, 501c3, oftentimes when you're just sort of newer or getting your start and younger as an organization, um, the board is named a board specifically because they have fiduciary and legal duties, right? So there's the duty of care, duty of loyalty, duty of obedience, and, you know, making sure that they are providing that oversight and really governing the organization. Big picture, right? Making sure everything is in compliance, all laws are being met and all that. But oftentimes that same group and body of people is also doing like the work of staff, right? It's a working board as well. So they have to wear two hats if you don't have paid staff in an organization. Oftentimes your board members are both having to take kind of that governance fiduciary role and also more of a staff, you know, role, roll up your sleeves, make it happen, implement and execute. So um, anything to add on that, Andy, that piece of it? Yeah, I mean, that's the you're right that that's just sort of the default mode for brand new baby organizations where those those board members and staff members overlap all the time. And what we, you know, I'm going to just, just share from personal experience because I was part of an organization for a while that we literally had no paid staff. We called everybody a board. We had to, you know, designate as a corporation and having bylaws and meeting some of the, you know, basic state laws. We did have to, you know, have a board of directors for our, our organization. Um, but we also were the volunteers. And so um, we didn't, kind of get it muddied with saying some of us were staff and some were board. We literally were just like, we're the board. And that means the following things, right? Like we've got to do all the things that I just said. Um, so I think that is is one piece of this. Um, I do think that as far as can staff members be part of the board? So I, you know, I just don't know enough about your organization structure in general. I would say most nonprofit boards have 
If there is a staff member that serves on their board, so it's a paid staff member that serves on the board, oftentimes there's only one person and that tends to be the executive director and that person does or doesn't have voting authority, oftentimes doesn't have voting authority, but still is considered a board member. I'm probably going down the weeds here because I'm not sure that's your situation, but I guess I'm just thinking it is important to know that, you know, you can have a staff member, but you're trying to provide that line of separation between what's going on day to day operationally and then the oversight role. So, um, you know, and again, this gets cloudied when you're small because you're kind of doing it all. Yeah, I think the for me, the difference between uh, when that's problematic, when the staff and the board are combined together and when they're separated, it becomes problematic when you start paying people. So if nobody's getting paid, if it's this typical brand new baby organization that has a board and no other staff members and nobody's getting paid to do anything, we're just we're the people here doing the work. So it's us. Uh, that's that's totally that happens all the time. And that's how most little tiny baby organizations start. It's when you start paying people that you need to start, then you have to put in some sort of firewall, like you just said, between what the board's responsibilities are and what the staff responsibilities are. And that tends to be one of the most, from at least in my experience, that seems to be one of the most problematic challenges. I call them adolescent organizations. Like an organization reaches adolescence when they're no longer children, they're adults, and they have to move from the board is doing everything to now we are really just in charge of making sure things get done. And there are paid people whose responsibility is to do it. And our role changes from the doers to sort of the managers and the people that are, you know, used like all the fiduciary stuff that you just said, right, all, right. all of the important things that they're responsible for. As long as nobody's getting paid, they can totally overlap. Yeah. As soon as you start paying somebody, then the rules change. Yeah. It gets sticky with that. Uh, good point. And you're right. It is a pain point and tends to be like when you look at organizational life cycles and like developmental life cycles of organizations, that is one of the biggest pain points in that transition to more of an adolescent organization. Um, you know, the other question, right? How much power will they have over our organization? It, the board has ultimate power and authority. So, yeah, you got Yeah. Oh yeah, it was like you got to be really like that's why finding good board members and recruitment is so critical and important and I know that was sort of your next question, right? How, you know, I want to take us to the next level, but um, you know, how do I and also how do I find board members? Um, I mean, what I would really want to see you do is first think about what your needs are at the as an organization. So, you know, if, if you are looking to have a board, a true board, um, that has that fiduciary oversight. Do you have someone with financial expertise? Um, do you have someone maybe who's got some legal expertise? Uh, you know, looking at rounding out what you would need, you know, maybe someone who's got some marketing and public relations background. I mean, you really want to kind of look at what are the connections we need to get to where we're trying to go, right? What are what are the expertise and skill sets we need? Um, you know, obviously, diversity, equity, and inclusion is super important these days and making sure you're keeping an eye on whether you reflect the communities you serve. So I think before you start just running out trying to find board members, I would love for you to maybe just take a quick step and like as an organization, say, what is it that we like really need to help get us to where we're trying to go? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, as part of that, and I know you, you you tend to say this too, is you have to figure out what you want to be when you grow up. Yeah. Like, what's your mission? What are you trying to do? And and once you figure out what you're trying to do, then that will 
sort of explain what your next steps need to be. You don't have to immediately go into, let's just go and get a professional board, people that are good at being board members, and then we'll do all the work. That's not necessarily the next step. The next step is whatever the next step is for your organization, whatever is going to get you that next level of impact. What, you know, is it, is it a staff member? Maybe that's important. Is it more, like you said, more people on the board that have specific areas of expertise that you need help in? Maybe that's what you need next. But, but until you figure out what that is, there's no like automatic do this, now do this next, now do this next. It really has to do with what your what your organization needs next. And that's, you know, as, as a student-run organization, I think you're in a perfect position to be able to have those conversations that like more mature organizations don't have, which is, why are we here? What do we want to do? Right. <laughs> like, and like to sit in a room, you know, and just like ha- hash out, like, how are we really going to make that impact? Because what happens when organizations get older and they bring in board members that have been on other boards, then it becomes really sort of stayed and we're going to follow the rules and let's talk about bylaws and all the things that have nothing to do with the mission and have to do more with the the operation of a legal entity. And you guys don't need to be there yet. Just figure out, you know, figure out how you can make the biggest impact and then go that direction. And, and please just keep asking questions. Keep, keep find, you know, bug and bug us, yes, bug anybody. We love these says, questions. Yeah. Says, what do we do next? Here's where we are. This is what we want to achieve. How do we get to that next place? And a word of advice, because I'm going to assume since you're, you're fiscally, you're a fiscally sponsored nonprofit, I'm going to make the assumption that you're probably smaller and, you know, you're under, the 501c3 umbrella of a larger organization. And with that in mind, I do think if you're recruiting board members, it is so critical to talk about like the realities of what it means to be a board member for your organization. So, so many times people are like, yeah, I've been on that board before, but depending on what life cycle the organization's at, I may have served on a board and hardly had to do anything other than, I mean, I don't want to diminish it, right? Oversight, sort of strategic direction. That, I shouldn't say that's hardly anything, right? That's a lot. <laughs> for the, some board members, it is For hardly. some board members, that is really tough, right? <laughs> but, but like when you are, I will tell you, as someone who was a working and governing board member, it was a part-time job. I mean, it was a lot of work. And you have got to be real about that when you start recruiting, because otherwise you're going to get someone who's never had to be, you know, do that before on a board. And they're going to be like, what? that's it for this week. Thanks again for listening to the Nonprofit Everything podcast. Stacey and I are really excited to get your questions, so keep those coming. Use the new phone number. Get us on Facebook, Twitter, bug us at night, whatever you need to do to get those questions to us, and we will do our best to answer them as quickly as we can or get a guest expert to do it for us. Um, Thanks again to the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits for making this possible. And another shout out, because we sound sound pretty good again, finally, to Mm -hmm. Envy Energy for letting us use their studio space. We really appreciate it.